You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Happy anniversary, y'all. Happy anniversary. I loved watching the pictures, especially some of those, uh, those older memories and older, I don't want to say older faces. They're older faces now. They were young faces then. Um, people who've been around Mosaic for a long time. Some of those pictures only make sense if you've been here a while. There are memories mixed into those pictures that are so meaningful, and some of them are hard, faces of people we miss who have passed from this life. But isn't this just beautiful to think that over all these years, God has brought so many people through these doors, has has helped us to learn how to be a community together. And it's the memories, and it's the, it's the doing, and it's the being together, and it's the community. This is what God taught the people out there in the desert. It's, it's only when you know the whole story that the snapshots make sense. Think about it biblically. If you didn't know the Egyptians had been oppressing the Israelites for generations, if you didn't know their hearts had grown so hard they'd forgotten how to feel, if you didn't know God had chosen slaves in Egypt to be his people, then the snapshots we find inside the story don't make any sense. Knowing the whole story helps us understand our place in it. So, after God freed the Israelites from 400 years of captivity in Egypt, the first thing he taught them was how to remember. He gave them a series of feast days, times when they would gather around tables just like this. And and he asked them to remember. He told them, on these days, take time to tell the story, to, to remember how I brought you up out of slavery, how I provided for you in the desert. And so I wonder, in this room, is there anyone who can say that in the last 20 years, God has brought you, God has brought you up out of spiritual slavery? Is there anyone in this room? Well, I want you to keep your hands held high, keep your hands held high, and now look around the room. That's a lot of freedom in 20 years. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. God said to the Israelites, eventually you'll have kids and they won't remember how it all happened unless you tell them. And if they don't remember, they won't know how God has worked among us. So without the whole story, the hard things don't make sense and you might miss the promises I've set before you. Remembering is how we keep faith in the promises of God. Remembering is how we keep faith in the promises of God. You should grab a pen and write that on your tablecloth right now. (laughs) Remembering is how we keep faith in the promises of God. In fact, I want you to say this together. It's on the screen. Remembering is how we keep faith in the promises of God. This is is how together God has kept his promises, all of us together. This is how God has kept his promises so we can keep faith as we move forward. I distinctly remember that day. I was still in seminary when I started seriously thinking about the nature of the church, you know, the big C church. 
And I was asking God, is this what you meant, this thing, you know, that we see all around us and all these, all, every corner, everywhere there's a church. Is this what you meant after your resurrection when you ascended into heaven and left the church to us to tend? Is this what we have now? Is this the church the way you meant it to be? That, that, that question sort of did me in. It, 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 I, I became obsessed about that question. I called people all over the country trying to find an answer to that question. What does the church look like when the church is really being the church? And, and I became so interested in the idea. By the time I left seminary, I was beginning to sense a call to start a new church, something I'd never... I didn't know how churches got started. They just were always there, as far as I was concerned. I didn't know you could start one from nothing. But I had this vision for a particular kind of, of church, a missional community. Five years later... After that, they sent Steve Claremarie and me to Evans, and they told us to go at it. That's pretty much what they did, sort of threw us in, go at it, and then walked away really fast. <laughs> Just before we came, we were put in a group with some other church planters, and a coach gave us all a blank piece of paper and asked us to draw a picture of our vision for how this new church we were starting would look like. And that's when I first drew those three circles. This was the vision. That, that was my vision. You know, you don't really know what a church is going to look like in, in, until it hatches any more than you know what a chicken's going to look like by the, by the egg. We didn't know on that first Sunday that recovery would be so much a part of who we are. And we didn't know we'd end up in a warehouse. We didn't know we'd love the residents of Maxwell House the way we do. We didn't yet have a vision for the Mosaic Center but somehow those three circles, they held meaning for me in the very beginning, and they have held meaning for us through all these years, and they've kept us focused on the important things. Somewhere in those three circles was a hope that we might have an, a ministry with, excuse me, with an equal emphasis on Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that our work together would be worship, learning, and serving, sharing the gospel in practical ways. So we have learned to worship together. Our very first worship service ever wasn't official. It was just before Christmas in a room at Savannah Rapids Pavilion. And after that, we had two of what we call preview services at Jim Whitehead's tire store on Washington Road. Yes, we had two worship services in a tire store. We called ourselves the Church of the Holy Rollers. I wonder, if is there anybody here who was there at either of those first two preview services? Faith, I see a few hands. Then on February 22nd, 2004, so our actual anniversary is later this week, February 22nd, 2004, 145 people gathered for our first worship service. Who among us was at that first worship service? There's a few more of you guys there. That's awesome. It was in the theater at Evans High School. We did not know what we were doing. We did not know what we were doing. We didn't yet know who we were as a church. We were just trying hard to follow Jesus, but God raised us up. Michael Ray was our first worship leader. And then Cindy Wilkinson came two years later. She sent such a call to this community, and we've been so blessed by her spiritual and musical leadership. She should be here this morning, but she's sick. Yeah, yeah, so hey, Cindy, she's watching. 
And then Christopher became our worship leader. What a gift. Three worship leaders in 20 years, that, friends, is a miracle all by itself. It's pretty amazing. I remember thinking after that first worship service at Evans no, I mean, like, I literally remember thinking this after that first worship service at Evans High. What next? <laughs> I didn't know. I hadn't thought about small groups. I hadn't thought about, you know, how you, the framework for all of this. And so we got help from Cedar Creek Church, Church in Aiken. They trained our leaders, and that's how we became a church of small groups. Did you know that Linda Cutcliffe has been leading a small group for the entire 20 years? I told her that this morning. She said, oh, I know. And it... <laughs> We all learned together how to do discipleship. I didn't know. I didn't know. We did a lot of experimenting. I have loved hearing the stories that you've shared as we've, as we've asked for your memories of stepping into a small group for the first time. You, some of you, stepped into a small group for the first time at Mosaic. Of opening a Bible. Some of you opened a Bible for the first time at Mosaic of growing in your relationship with Jesus, of growing up in healing, discovering and living out your call. One of our people who's been here a long time said, we raised our kids while Mosaic raised us. Among the memories you shared, someone else wrote this, God used the Mosaic community to bring beauty from the ashes of my life. I found recovery, belonging, family, deep friendships, support, the list goes on. I'm incredibly grateful for all the lives that have so carefully shaped mine, they write. Loving people in the margins. Loving our neighbors in practical ways. In 20 years, we've baptized more than 200 people. I actually don't know the total. And we've seen hundreds come to faith. So many lives have come through our doors. Some for a season of healing. Some stay did you know that Steve Moore has been in the parking lot for 20 years? <laughs> I remember one time thinking we needed a change. I mean, you know, that's really bold to do that with the person you live with. And, uh, and, and I said, you know, I think we could use some other people in the parking lot for, you know, a change because maybe somebody else. And, Y'all gave it about three weeks, and then y'all just came at me. Stop it. Stop it. So we went back out there. I loved this comment from somebody. God has brought me so much through the Mosaic community. He's taught me how inward holiness and outward active holiness can be in great harmony. He's also taught me how challenging but worth it Christian community truly is. It really is beautiful, isn't it? All the ways we found each other. Do you know that we have an online life group that has been meeting for three years, and the people in it live not just in multiple states, but in multiple countries? They've been huge supporters of each other. And one of that group's members wrote, God's spirit can and does move over distances. I still attend 9 a.m. online worship almost every week. Thank you, artists, for your faithfulness. And the spirit moves. What blows me away as I've listened to your memories, is just how transformative you found community to be. 
from the church retreats where you met friends and laid down struggles, in small groups and special events, even in memorial services, you've sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit and the love of God. Much more, as one person said, you've come here and the Holy Spirit has shown you this is home. And what we've discovered in the Mosaic community is that this can be home for a season and then it can be home again. Always, always, Mosaic has been missional. Steve and I learned this from a church called the Church of the Savior in Washington, D.C. They built a whole community on the idea that serving is the natural outflow of, of worship and discipleship, that we're called to participate with Jesus in the, in the transformation of the world. And Third Saturday was a place where we really learned how to serve. Kevin Reynolds, one of the pastors over at Christ the King, remembers how it happened. It was Sunday, January 29th, 2012, when our Christ the King neighbors came over here to worship at Mosaic. All of them. The whole church came. That was the Sunday Susan and Mark Niklinski were casting a vision for an outreach called Third Saturday. They asked folks who were interested to sign up after worship, and Kevin says, all of Christ the King lined up to start helping. Kevin says, for the next eight years, Mosaic and Christ the King were bound together in service to our neighborhood and community. We learned so much about God's heart through that project, and we watched it give birth to the Mosaic Center. And it did. It's what we learned through Third Saturday that taught us what ministries to focus on as the Mosaic Center was formed. As a church, you serve extremely well. You're probably not even aware of the ways you serve. You know, GED happens here two mornings every single week. There are children uh, with, with profound disabilities in our um, Kid City area five days a week. Twice a month, we do social events with a, a young adults with disabilities. You serve and have served for literally, like, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years down at the Maxwell House. And we now have a full-time person there who serves every day. You serve well. As a church, you love people well. We've discovered, many of us, that community itself is an incredible healing agent. One person said, Mosaic has been a place of deep healing for us on our spiritual journey. Another person wrote, God has used the Mosaic community to bring beauty from the ashes of my life. I found recovery, belonging, family, deep friendships, support. So much love has been shared among us. <laughs> through hard times and tragic deaths and through joys like Kurt and Heather's wedding. That was a fun day. When Steve Cutcliffe became a lay minister, we were all so proud. A few of you might even remember that we sent Alan Hamilton into ministry. That was our first person we sent into ministry. We commissioned Jean Carr as a lay minister. And now Christopher has been raised up. And there are others in the pipeline, in process. That's a lot of spiritual fruit for a church our size. How many hugs did Nora Apple give at that old front door? That old front door over there. She was like, if you don't, you don't, you might not remember Nora Apple. She's 4'11, so there, and she would just grab you and hug you. She's not feeling well. She's in the hospital today with pneumonia. 
So, Lord Jesus, I pray healing over our sweet Nora. How many babies has Lyneth Suarez rocked? How many people have given so much because that's how they love Jesus? Someone wrote, the emphasis on wholeness through community and holiness through grace-filled spiritual practices has been life-giving. What a joy it's been to see each of our family members flourish in our personal walks with God. Friends, that's who you are. We are a missional community. We help people become whole through Jesus. And when we know who we are, it makes it a lot easier to see how God is moving, how he is leading us into our future. What a humbling privilege to see the Spirit work, raising up the next leaders from among us, watching them step into the mission and take our vision to the next level. Now to help people help people become whole through Jesus. As we continue this journey toward the promises of God, what's next? It's almost like those scenes in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus healing the sick, driving out demons, declaring the kingdom of God, showing his friends how it's done. And then in Luke chapter 9, he passes the baton to his followers. He gives them power and authority, and he sends them out to welcome and advance the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. And so if Luke, the first few chapters of Luke is Jesus driving out demons, healing the sick, declaring the kingdom of God has come near. And then the next uh, phase is chapter 9 where he hands it to the apostles, his first church leaders, and he calls them to cleanse the leper, drive out demons, heal the sick, and declare the kingdom of God is at hand. If, you, if you've got those things going on, then what happens in chapter 10? About halfway through chapter 10, you get a very curious verse. It's chapter 10, verse 21. It says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Just look at this for a minute. Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, is praising the Father. I don't know about you, but for me, this looks like a Trinitarian party. Right? And it has me curious, what has happened in chapter 10 that has brought about this Trinitarian party? Because whatever's happened, that's the type of church I want to be, Amen. right? I don't want to be a church that the holy God doesn't get excited about. I want to be a church that he celebrates. So the question is, what is going on? What has happened? As Carolyn said, First part of Luke is Jesus doing the miracles. Second part in chapter 9 is him commissioning the apostles, the, the original church leaders to do the thing, uh, same thing. And then you get to chapter 10, and he broadens the commission. He's giving authority to 72, and he's sending them out to heal the sick, drive out demons, and declare that the kingdom of God has come. That this is what it looks like when Jesus is king. But why 72? According to scholar Joel Green, in Genesis 10 of the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, the number 72 declares the world's nations. Now, of course, we know that there are a lot more nations than 72, but what is Jesus doing? Perhaps he is making a prophetic statement that he is wanting to release his commission to all nations, to all people. 
So Jesus tells the 72, go out, heal the sick, and then tell them that the kingdom of God has come near. And then later in the passage, they return. It says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And this starts the Trinitarian celebration. This starts Jesus looking at the Father. And I think we could almost translate it like this. We could say Jesus looking at at the Father and saying, Dad, they're doing it. They've been with me. They've hung out with me. And now they're doing the stuff. You revealed it to their hearts. And now they are revealing your glory and your power throughout the land. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Let's try that again. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Come on, y'all. Friends, the future of the church is not better programs. It's not flashier sermons. It's not a better praise team. Those things are nice, but they are not the future of the church. The future of the church is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The future of the church, another way of saying that, the future of the church is every Christian a minister. Now, I want you to know what I did not say. I did not say every Christian a volunteer. I did not say every Christian a salesperson with some sales pitch for the gospel. I said every Christian a minister. I'm borrowing that phrase from Rick Warren because I think it gets at the heart of what it means to be a Methodist. The Methodist movement is the one that grows through everyday believers being ministers of the gospel. As a man, sometimes I just want you to tell me what to do. Anybody else feel that way? That's right. Thank you, Randall. Just tell me what to do, and I'll be happy to do it. Just make it clear. Let me say this. Sometimes, guys, I feel like that kind of clarity is so needed in our churches today. Show me how to be a minister of the gospel of grace. Friends, good luck. We are Methodist. And Methodist got our name because guess what? We like methods. We like methods that equip us not simply for being volunteers, not simply for being Christian salespeople. No, we like methods that equip us for being disciple makers for being ministers of the gospel. So the future of the church isn't programs. It isn't human eloquence or nice buildings. It's inviting God to make every Christian a minister so that Christ in you becomes the hope of glory. So if the future of the church is every Christian a minister, healing the sick, driving out demons, declaring the kingdom of God just the way the 72 did, Being good Methodists, we need some methods. So let's talk about them for a minute. Friends, I believe that God is calling us to take what was worship and to make it the work of worship. Friends, the work of worship is so much more than just singing praise songs together in a warehouse. Let me say this. Our first... The first person we're called to minister to is not the people. It's to God. The Levites ministered to the Lord. And this is a big deal. Let me say this. Because when we minister to the Lord, when we exalt his name, 
over our city, guess what? He begins to pour out his Holy Spirit so that your city begins to experience the influence of King Jesus. Right? So it is the greatest work of spiritual warfare to come in here and worship God for all he's worth. Why? Because we want his presence in all of it. Right? So friends, corporately worshiping the Prince of Peace invites the Prince of Peace to release his peace as an influence in our city. Worshiping the God of angel armies invites his angel armies to push back the darkness and to bring the influence of King Jesus into our neighborhoods, into our schools, over those with mental illness, over those with deep emotional wounds, and to bring justice to the oppressed and to the marginalized. So the first part of the work of worship is seeing this is not something I do because I feel like it. Not something I do because my alarm went off and I got enough coffee that I could come to church. No, I do it because I'm called to it. I do it because I want to see the influence of King Jesus spread throughout my city. The second aspect of the work of worship is the work of prayer. Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Friends, we are a global Methodist church. Can I get an amen? amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> this means lifting up our city, our country, and frankly, the nations that we have mission partners with, that we are currently wanting to see the kingdom of God advance in. So what does that look like for us? What it means is that our sermons are going to shift. They're going to shift from hopefully good things that have just helped us along to good things that have helped us along with the gospel and also biblical prayer points that we can begin to pray down over the nations. Why? Because we're called to be a house of prayer for all nations. So... Our, our, our point, our desire is to give you strategic and biblical prayer points so that when you come in here, you are equipped to pray down kingdom realities throughout the world. To pray down kingdom realities through, uh, upon our mission partners. Friends, ministering to the Lord, exalting the name of Jesus, and then strategically praying down kingdom realities on the earth. I want to tell you, that is the good life. And we get to live it. Our next practice is repeatable disciple-making. You'll notice we're just following the first three circles that Carolyn gave us. Worship, discipleship, service. Repeatable disciple-making. Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I suspect the Trinity celebrates a people who are actively trying to live into the work of disciple-making. For those of you who are visiting today... Uh, we have a discipleship methodology called Three Steps Forward. Contrary to popular belief, I did not create Three Steps Forward. <laughs> it's simply three tried and true spiritual practices that for two millennia have borne the fruit of helping people to learn to walk with God. We just took them and put them on a piece of paper. And we believe that if we develop in these spiritual practices, guess what? We can also help other people develop in these spiritual practices. That 
Friends, we can become disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. And so when we do these things in our small groups, guess what we're learning how to do? We're not just learning to be disciples ourselves. We're learning to lead others to walk with Christ so they can be disciples. And you may have noticed that we're shifting our sermons to be sermons that are primarily walking through Scripture. They're not topical series, they're scriptural series. Why? Because we want to equip you to make disciples of Jesus Christ. The future of the church is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The future of the church is every Christian a minister. Friends, Flint Campbell, one of our own, gave me permission to tell this story. Flint came to Christ just about three months ago. Uh, we immediately started walking through a three steps forward card with him through the book of John. A couple of weeks ago, he reconnected with a friend of his in Texas who's been going through a lot of the same type of life that Flint has been dealing with. And he asked Flint, he said, Flint, what has made the difference this time for you? Why, what's the difference this time? And Flint kind of took a, a deep breath and then he said, it's one word, man. It's Jesus. And then guess what Flint started doing? He started using a three steps forward card and leading his friend through the book of John. He's been a Christian for three months. Come on, people. That's the good stuff. I love the fact that Flint didn't feel like he had to be following Jesus for 10 years before he started teaching somebody else how to follow Jesus, right? I love the fact that he believed that, hey, the same God who was teaching him to walk with him in this way, that those same practices would work for his friend. That's good stuff, y'all. Friends, making disciples of Jesus, helping people to learn with, to walk with God in a deep and intimate way, that's the good life. And we get to live into it. Come on, somebody. That's the good life. And the Lord invites us to it. Our last practice is serving prayer. Do you know why we call Jesus the Christ? Christ is not his last name, by the way. <laughs> the word Christ means anointed one. Throughout the Bible, they would anoint places where heaven and earth came together. So, for example, the first uh, picture we get of this is Jacob is on a journey. He's left uh, his home. He's heading towards Laban's house. And he kind of sets up camp at this place in the wilderness during the evening. And, and he has this dream where he sees uh, this stairway coming down from heaven. And there are angels ascending and descending from heaven. And he wakes up and he says, man, surely God was in this place and I was unaware. And he names the place Bethel and then he pours out oil on a rock. He had slept on a rock. That does not sound like a great idea to me, but it's biblical time, so we'll just chalk it up to that. So he anoints the rock. What's the point? He is anointing a place where heaven and earth came together. So you would anoint places, but you would also anoint people that brought the manifest presence of God into a community. 
So Jesus, the Christ, the word Christ means anointed one. So he is the ultimate one who brings heaven and earth together, right? But guess what we are? We are Christians, little anointed ones called to, like Jesus, bring heaven and earth together. That's what we're called to. And so, folks, that's exactly what we do in serving prayer. Here's what serving prayer looks like. First of all, it just looks like a caring conversation. You're not trying to sell people on anything. You're not trying to engender fear about anything. You're just trying to care for somebody's soul. And you ask them what's going on. You ask them, you know, how you might can pray for them. And that, that generally opens up a whole door that you can just talk and kind of minister to their soul. Just care for them. And then after a little bit of that, we spend time praying over the specific need that that person is dealing with. And then we do this. We typically say, let's take a minute to just listen for the Lord. Let's listen for what the Lord might want to say. And we take some time and we listen. And you would be stunned at how many times the Holy Spirit begins to give words of encouragement or life for that person that they never would have known apart from that. God begins to speak through us. What's happening? We are becoming Christians. We are becoming little anointed ones who bring heaven and earth together. Friends, imagine what that will do in terms of how it will bring the Mosaic Center and the Mosaic Church together. We're inviting our life groups who practice this type of prayer very regularly to adopt TMC ministries. And so on a weekly basis, they're praying over specific prayer needs, but they're also being invited to actually go to the TMC ministries and pray with people. So, for example, next Friday, some folks from one of our life groups will be hanging out at Life on the Spectrum. We'll be wearing these lanyards that say, how can I pray for you? And then we'll just be kind of walking around, mingling and talking to people and developing relationships with folks. We believe that God will open up opportunities for us to pray with folks. And so we'll care for their souls and then we'll pray over their specific needs and then we will listen. Because let me say this, brothers and sisters, the most important person in your prayer life is not you. Is Jesus, is what he wants to say. So we'll take time to listen for his voice. And guess what, friends? In a life on the spectrum that often feels unseen and overlooked, we will make space for these people to experience a God who sees and loves them. That's the good life, folks. Friends, caring for souls and then helping them receive God's love and encouragement that's the life we get to live into. Come on, somebody. That's the good stuff. The future of the church isn't great programs. It isn't slick presentations. The future of the church is you. The future of the church is sitting in your seat. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is every Christian a minister. 
Our mission statement for years has been, in a broken world, we help people become whole through Jesus. That mission statement isn't changing, but our focus is. In a broken world, we want to help people help people become whole through Jesus. We want to resource you to be a minister of the gospel. Because the future of the church is sitting in your seat. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Friends, through focusing on these three practices, our hope and joy will be to equip you to live out your call as a little anointed one. And I want you to begin to think about what our city could look like 10 years from now. If we really committed to the work of worship, exalting the name of Jesus, and then praying down kingdom realities on our city, what could our city look like? What would be the fruitfulness of our lives if we leaned into the work of repeatable disciple-making? Where disciple-making wasn't something that somebody else did. It's what I do. It's what we do. What What would it look like? What would the fruitfulness of our lives look like if we cultivated a culture of listening prayer? Where we just care for people's souls. Listen to where they really are. Pray over the specific needs that they're experiencing and then listen for God to speak so that they go from knowing about Jesus to more importantly knowing that Jesus knows about them. To know that Jesus genuinely loves them. He cares for them. Friends, that is the good life. That is the good life. And we get to live into it. I want to just pray a blessing over the next 10 years. I want to pray for that. Lord, we come before you. And God, a man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his course. Lord, we ask for that anointing. We ask for the anointing to worship you, to minister to you through worship. We ask for the anointing to pray down kingdom realities onto this world. Lord, we ask you for the anointing to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask you to show us in our, in our world who needs that gentle help of learning to walk with you and make us bold and so kind in our invitations. And then Lord, lastly, give us the anointing of serving prayer. Lord, cast out fear Cast out fear that says that you won't speak or you won't show up if we make space. Lord, that is just a lie from hell. And so, Lord, fill us with bold faith, believing that if we love our neighbors as we love ourselves, if we take time to get to know them and to minister to them, that, Lord, you will be present. 
And that, Lord, you will do what only you can do, which is restore a human soul. We just pray for that, dear God. We love you and we thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.